this is idiot mystic and i'm with mama foxfire um hello we we only talked for about two minutes before this about nothing significant i don't <laughs> nothing that would change there's nothing that needs to be covered again but yeah um i guess because of what you do or what i've perceived that you do my the way we can start this is why do you think you're doing this what you're doing now without describing it why do you think you're doing it without describing what yes. i'm doing yes um i mean i so i do almost everything that i do for the benefit of others like whether it's my day job or what i do that we're going to talk about tonight i always do it either for um my kids or from other people who can learn from experiences so that's so, that's kind of that's it really <laughs> no i i'm so glad you were comfortable going forward with the ambiguous the yeah sure because <laughs> from that i guess if someone now people still don't know what we're talking about so mm -hmm. if if you had to explain where this like what drives you to do things with other people in mind did that is that how did that come about without yeah still so i mean i think that i my whole family is a family of like community servants kind of so my dad is a, well, was he's retired now but he was a fireman my grandfather was a fireman my grandfather was a um was a minister and a funeral director my grandmother was a teacher and so i i grew up with all of these people who were just always doing things for the benefit of others and obviously getting paid for it right but <laughs> but at the same time it's kind of that mindset and then i feel like my personal philosophy is if i'm going to go uh, I don't know how wholesome you want me to be on this. Can you tell me that? You can before say I anything. You can say okay. anything. Okay. If I'm going to go through some shit in life and someone else can learn from it and not have to go through the same shit that I went through in life, I would love for them to not have to go through anything that I went through. So that's kind of where, that's kind of and, where and, and how I arrived at my philosophy. <laughs> and I think that's, that's important because I guess if, if if we had talked about the the things you had done before how you got there i feel like it's easy to talk about the present moment and how wonderful it yeah. is or how great we are manifesting or being in the moment but um i guess do you think if you hadn't grown up let's say if you had grown up around what people conventionally grow up around now because most jobs don't serve other people most conventional mm -hmm. jobs yeah. do you think that would have affected your ability to give to others or even like this philosophy you have i think it might have impacted it yeah because you know if you grow up in a world where your focus is just on bottom line just on the dollars and not necessarily what you can do for others which my day job is that way. My day job is focused on I'm just making money. That is what I'm doing. Does it help others in the long run what I do? Yes. But it is really for me, it's just about how I make a living. And so um, I think growing up without that piece of, all right, I do this because it's saving lives. I do this because it's saving lives in a different way. I do this to educate the next generation. I do this, you know, for all these different reasons, um, you know, it, I might not, it might've taken me longer. I'll say it might've taken me longer to get to where I am in my mindset and the way that I approach things in life. Um, 
do you think I would have gotten here anyway? <laughs> but it might have taken a little longer. Uh, and I I feel like we'll definitely get to where you are now. But I guess if you were describing when you described your day job and working, I feel like um, that's something that I talk to so many different people about. And so far, it seems like the people who have um, a lot of success doing something by success, I mean, fulfillment in various ways, um, in things outside of their work, they also seem to work very hard in something mm -hmm. kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, that other people would call conventional. And they're, yeah. and it's not like something shocking, but then the thing they do out as soon as they clock out is so unconventional that you're like, wait a minute, are you the same person? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you do that? How do you do the two, the balancing between the two and not feeling like the people who, while they're working, they're um, feeling almost beaten down by the work? Mm -hmm which sometimes it is oppressive. I, I'm not yeah, saying that it's yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, it, it can. So my day job is very demanding. It is not physically demanding. It is mentally demanding and it is time intensive. And so what I do every day, it can sometimes feel like a drain, but the thing at my work that I feel like my after work self uh, becomes, that part of it is just an amplification of how I am as a person. And so- even whenever I'm working and I'm working on these really difficult things and it's not for necessarily the benefit of others, it's for the benefit of the company's bottom line. Um, it's very much, I'm all about the people that I work with. I'm all about making sure that we're all pulling together in the same direction. Um, and I'm, I've become a person who other people in the company will call up and be like, Hey, I don't know what to do next in my career. I don't know what to do next in this situation. I don't know what to do next here or there or whatever. And I've heard you're a good person to talk to about things whenever you're having a hard time. And I'm not, I, I don't know how I became that person for everyone at work or not everyone at work. It's like a 40,000 person company, but <laughs> for a lot of people at work, I don't know how I became that person, but it, it's just kind of word gets around that if you have an issue, you can call me and I'll help you think through it. I'll help you talk through it. I'm not going to solve the problem and I won't step in unless you ask me to, but I've become that person. And so taking from that, like even looking at what I do after work, um, which I feel like is just an amplification of that, right? Because then I'm just there to help. Oh, I'm spitting everywhere there to help everyone and, uh, and everything. And so I don't view it as I'm a completely different person. Now, if people at my work knew what I did after work and and kind of really started digging into it, I think they would feel like it was a different person, but I don't view it as being a different person at all. Okay. I feel like at this point we've made it sound very ominous. What I know I can't I'm trying like not to work, dear Lord. You should just say it. You should just say it. my goodness. Yeah. So uh I can say what I do for work also if you want. Yes, and, yes, and please connect it all. So during the day, I am a proposal manager for an, for an engineering company, and I sell environmental solutions to the Navy. Um, and so my day job is very much a lot of writing. It's a lot of management. It's a lot of uh, people wrangling and information wrangling. And then after work, I have a uh, talk show and podcast called Even Tacos Fall Apart. And 
Uh, it's very mental health focused. And we do that once a week on Mondays, we have this live conversation, very similar to what you and I are doing right now, but with an audience who can then engage and ask questions. Uh, and then I, you know, publish it to different formats and all of that. Uh, and of course, for during the rest of the day, I'm also a single mom. <laughs> and so raising my kids to hopefully have the same mindset as I do. So this is after you said it, it sounds insane. How <laughs> it sounds actually like, like I know some people like this, but they cannot, when they speak about it, you can tell the, the vibe is like a, like a 2000s Disney movie in the beginning, like straight crazy, <laughs> like things are being thrown around. Maybe that is also the vibe for you, but I guess, how do you, what is, what do the mechanics of doing all of these things look like? And has it, is it smooth or what kind of ride is, it sounds uh, like people say, I don't have time to do a podcast. I I I can't get a job. Okay, I have a job. I hate it, and it it's so bothersome that after the job, I can only recover from dealing mm -hmm. with the job. And you just describe, and then you they all they all are like, yeah, and I can't. I don't have kids yet. And then you you have the kids and the job and the podcast, and then this is another person's podcast. So obviously, you're. Could you explain how you have extra time? I don't know. <laughs> extra time I don't have. I'll tell you that right now. But how do I have time to do all of that? Um, so it's funny that you asked that question because my dad was over. I had a plumbing issue. It's I'm in Texas. It froze here. It was below 20 degrees for two days straight. We're not built for that. I had a pipe bust. So I had to have a plumber come out. My dad's going to help me fix the drywall because the plumber wasn't going to, you know, whatever. So he was over here. Long story short, he was over here and we were talking and uh, he was talking about, I don't know how you do the things that you do and how you find how you find time. And I was like, dad, think about what I was doing 10 years ago, because 10 years ago, not only was I working full time and a single mother, I, I had a baby. Well, this wasn't this would have been. OK, let's say like 16 years ago. All right. Single mom working full time, had a baby. I was going to school full time on top of that. And I was a part of a community who got together and did all these events locally. And I was helping to um, not manage that, but I was a big part of the community and very involved. And so I was like, I look back at that. I'm like, I don't know how I did that. So to me, doing what I do now, it's very much, yes, I have a day job. I take care of my kids. Um, and then I kind of like after they go to bed or after my youngest goes to bed, he's 10, he goes to bed at 830. After he goes to bed is when I do all the podcast related things. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, it's a little more flexible, but it's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm sure 10 years from now, I'll look back and go, I don't know how the hell I did that. <laughs> okay. Let's, I, I feel like I usually get to these types of questions after the two hours, but in your case, it seems like it's important to like, if someone is hearing this, what is, what would you say your source of energy is like good sleep, caffeine, oh, uh, not like <laughs> extreme motivate, like, uh, like, are you like, how, how do you drive this forward? Cause the actions are occurring, but most people and including the things you talk about, 
the interference we have doesn't allow for like stuff to happen this way but you've clearly achieved it somehow like it's occurring we can't it's recorded it's being recorded so you can't no one can say it's not (laughs) happening yeah Yeah, so i first of all i will say if you do not have the energy the time the willpower or anything like that to do I'm, i'm using air quotes here all the things that i do that's okay. And that's valid. And you don't have to force it. Like if you're not, if you're not energized by something, then don't fucking do it because it's not going to serve you and you're not going to serve it. And so, um, but if you're wanting to do something like that, if you're driven to do something like that, and you're trying to figure out, well, how do other people have the the will and energy to do it? I would say that for me, I don't get enough sleep. I have insomnia. And so that is a, a real blocker for me. And, and there are often plenty of days where I am bone tired and I don't get everything done that I want to get done. Um, but for me, it really comes from being passionate about what I want to put out there into the world and what the footprint that I want to leave for my kids, the way that I want to raise my kids. Um, I'm not as passionate about my day job. I love my day job. I love the people that I work with. But like I said, I, I do that to pay the bills, right? And so, um, and and to facilitate being able to do the podcast and the live show and the streaming and and all of that. So for me, it started um, really as a form of self-care because, and I, we can go into, I don't know which direction you want to go with everything, but, um, you know, when I started streaming, it was really about my grandfather had just gone missing. My sister was still a big, big gamer. I had been a gamer back in the day, kind of in high school, but, um, through the course of my marriage, my husband really kind of beat me down about not gaming. And so I wasn't gaming anymore. My sister was still gaming when my grandfather went missing in 2017 is really when my sister was like, you know, she and I were really reconnecting. We weren't super um, close at the time. It's not like we hated each other or anything, but we just had kind of drifted apart and at that point, we were calling each other every day. Like we were talking every day because we were talking about here's when the next search is. Here's when the next um, here's when the next police meeting is. Here's when the next uh, public meeting for the sheriff's department is. Here's when the next FBI meeting is going to be. So we were talking about all these things and logistics and then also talking about feelings and everything. And so at some point she goes, you know what? Stop calling me. Let's hop into a Discord call because we're in there all the time anyway to game. Why don't you hop in there and you and I can keep talking while I'm also gaming because she was really um, gaming a lot. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I could game with you too if you wanted. Like I haven't done that in a long time, but it sounds kind of fun. So I got back into that. And so originally, whenever I started, I'll say like the the kind of nexus point that started me on this path instead of the path that I was on. Um, it really was an act of self-care because I was wanting to talk to my sister. I was in therapy and I was talking to my therapist about, you know, some things that I could do for self-care. It was things like nail painting and um, just trying to find things that I could do at home because we also didn't have very much money. And my ex spent a lot of money and he didn't like for me to do things outside of the house. And so I was trying to find things that I could do in the house um, without leaving and without, you know, that kind of thing. And so gaming was one of those things. We really, really kind of turned it into this facilitation, communication, and self-care piece. And then as we were doing all of this, um, we would have other folks come into the Discord call that we were in, and they would say, oh, you're so funny. You should stream. Oh, 
it's so fun to watch you play games, you should stream. And so I started doing that. And then as I started doing that, I was always very open about my mental health and how I was doing. Um, and I know I'm talking a lot. So if we want to like pause and you can ask any questions, but, but like, that's just kind of the, I was talking about games, but I was also talking about mental health over it. And I would have so many people come in and be like, oh, I've dealt with depression. Oh, I've dealt with anxiety. Oh, I've, I've dealt with some really bad grief stories and everything. And so I started, that's kind of where the, the podcast started. And that's where those conversations started was just getting a little more openness, a little more sharing, and then talking to other people about, well, let's get an expert in ADHD on here. Cause I don't have ADHD. But if we get a therapist on here who specializes in ADHD, then we can talk about it as a community. And so it really kind of just grew from there. So because it was very organic and uh, because it was something that I needed at the time, and I still need, I'll say, um, it was just a way to support myself through something that was really difficult and then try to turn it around to also help other people. It. I I'm wondering how it sounds like firstly when you say gaming I feel like a lot of people especially in the last like few maybe just in the last week um I I play games I have a 12 year old son I've gamed my whole life gaming 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 I I just full like nerd dork tastic explosion so but I guess I've been kind of over-educated in the, the negative sides of um, gaming or neurological overstimulation. And I guess through that, I became like a little biased even against myself. Like I was like, oh, like, how am I playing a game right now? Oh, what kind of person am I? Like I'm supposed, I should teach a meditation class. I should make some content. I should call my friends and see if they need help because playing a game isn't, uh, it's some kind of like, and, and I, I feel like, so I guess the way you're talking about gaming, it's almost like it doesn't even have a slight tinge of what the word means today. Yeah. And that's kind of scary almost like where did, and I don't know if you noticed that, but it seems like even in culture, gaming isn't an innocent, funny thing that kids do now. Like it's something else and it's confusing. Because even to me, when my son, like before this like transition in my thinking, I was like, okay, screen time. We need to like, we'll do one hour and then we'll go outside. Even if I was playing with him, I would be like, okay, we can't, we can only play four games of Fortnite. We can't, we can't play <laughs> anymore. And then after the fourth one, I'd be like, okay, just one more, please. Like, can we just, so I guess, how do you feel like you've kept that innocence or that, like, that there is a divine part of this or like a good, clearly light part of gaming? How have you kept that there and not gone to the other side of like, you started streaming and then you got caught up in the games and your kids are like, wait, why aren't, why are you playing world of Warcraft? It's 2024. And you're like, I don't care. Ah. <laughs> but it's a good game. I'm just saying. So like, how well, do my you sister do loves, 
she plays uh she plays it but not through whatever company made it she plays it through a different company because she doesn't want to support that company but so i'm really glad that you brought that up because i would say that it has not been an innocence i've actually like i'll i'll fight someone i will physically fight someone over this because gaming to me is a tremendous act of self-care and i think that our culture today really stresses like you were saying i should be doing this i should be doing that i should be parenting this way. I should be parenting that way. I should be more productive. And the thing that I have come to realize um, through a lot of therapy, so like, <laughs> is that, yeah, sure, sure. You can have a, a moment where gaming becomes um, deconstructive. You can have a, a moment in time where gaming is no longer something that is healthy. But if you are doing it in a way that is healthy, in a way that facilitates your restfulness in your mind, then that is something that is tremendously positive. I've spoken to um, an expert in social connections who's done research on gaming and social connections. And there, there is research that shows that gamers who have these social connections, like I was talking about getting in a Discord call with people who I had never met before, by the way, like my sister, of course, I had met, obviously. <laughs> but the other people who were in there, like one of them was in Boston, one of them was was in California, like all, all these different places. And so those social connections are as valid as having an IRL friendship. And so having a friend over for dinner or something like that is equivalent to gaming, actively gaming and communicating and connecting with people in something like a Discord call and in a game. And so not only that, but the the other part of my um, passionate defense of gaming, I'll say, is that my youngest has Tourette syndrome. And one of the ways that he manages his symptoms is through gaming. And so when he was uh, diagnosed, whenever he was five, he's now 10. When he was diagnosed when he was five, the neurologist, you know, gave us all these different things that we could do to kind of manage symptoms and everything. And they said, if it gets bad enough, we'll go down the medication route. But um, so far, like all the medications are going to be these anti-seizure medications that are then going to change his, um, change his, you know, the way that he is during the day, change his personality. And the medications can have a huge impact. Uh, the ones that are specifically used for Tourette syndrome. I am not saying all medications have any sort of negative effect at all. There are some medications totally valid. Um if your brain isn't making a chemical and you need to get store-bought, that's just fine. You do it. Uh, but for him, it was like, okay, well, find something that he can do with his hands. Find something that will get him up on his feet. Find something that will get him to focus. And one of the things that really helped with him was getting him a switch and having him game because he would have the worst tick day. I remember, um, I remember this probably was when he was about seven or so. But he was having a tick day that was so intense that I was to the point where I was like, we're going to have to medicate that we're to that point. He was he was like spilling water and we were using plastic cups and everything. So nothing broke. But he was so upset about things because he could he did not have control over his own body. And he did not have control at that on that particular day over his own speech because he was even vocal ticking so hard. And so it was the physical ticks. It was the vocal ticks. And at that point, it was like, we have to do something. We're going to have to medicate. Um, and so I was playing a game and I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe something like that would get him to focus. And this was after he went, he had already gone to bed. I was like, maybe something like that would help him focus. It was right around Christmas time. 
And I got both of the kids switches for Christmas, Santa, Santa got both the kids switches for Christmas. And uh, it was amazing because the next time he had such an intense tick day, he picked up his switch and the ticks stopped. Like they just stopped. And so because he was able to find something and reading hadn't done that, fidget toys hadn't done that, getting up and playing hadn't done that, nothing else was working. And like I said, I was to the point of medication and I really, it was amazing. And so as a parent who whose child is benefiting from gaming, right? I don't view it as something that's negative. As long as you're still getting things done in your daily life that you need to get done, if you enjoy gaming, do some gaming. It's good for you if you can enjoy it and have that connection. And then I'll also say with my 17-year-old, he plays Dauntless. I'm not I'm not great at Dauntless, but I have it on my computer and sometimes he and his girlfriend will be playing and um you know, obviously her at her house and him here and he'll be like, "Hey mom, you want to come play Dauntless with us?" Like what a cool fucking thing for a 17-year-old to say, you want to come play Dauntless with me and my girlfriend? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, it's, and I guess, I guess this question is going to sound weird because I don't know if, because I guess previously you said that you had been discouraged from gaming and mm, then, yeah. and then now you're using it as a tool and you're like leading your family in a brighter direction with it. And it's mm -hmm. almost like, I'm, I'm wondering, do, do you feel like there are other people like specifically, and I'm not trying to like make this a gender thing. So just anyone who is being not allowed to use gaming for comfort. Like, do you think these people exist in large numbers? I don't know about large numbers and I have no data to to back it up, but anecdotally, yeah. I mean, uh, so I was in an abusive marriage and it was one of those things that it was very, very much, he went down the isolation and just making sure that I didn't get to do the things that I enjoyed, that he diminished the things that I enjoyed by calling them stupid, by saying, you know, why are you wasting your time with that or, or whatever? And so, um, I know that there are people who are in that kind of situation, but I also know, and it's not just, it's not just women, like to your point, a lot of men get flack for gaming as well. Uh, probably more so I would say. I because... feel like, I feel like I didn't know that was an actual thing until like more of my, like my social circle and other people got partnered up and I was like, Oh wow. Your gaming is a major issue. I didn't realize this. Like, it is a point yeah. of contention with between some couple people that I didn't like even I didn't think I didn't think it was real to be honest. I thought it was mm -hmm. a meme. I thought it yeah. how could it be real? I was like there's no way this is real. Well, in my case, in my case I think it was a little different than what you traditionally see of like the girlfriend saying, "Oh, why why are you gaming with your boys instead of spending time with me?" Like it was it was different than that. It was a lot more intense and um, almost nuanced because it was part of a larger pattern of abuse. And so for me, it was um, my ex really wasn't a gamer. So he, first of all, didn't get it. And that's hard enough whenever your partner has an, an interest that you don't get. But a, in a healthy relationship, you carve out time for your partner to enjoy what they enjoy while you also enjoy something that you enjoy. And in my case, it was he didn't get it. And so he, he started calling it stupid. And every time I would game, 
it was such a burden and it would, it just became more and more of a burden for me to try to justify something that I enjoyed doing. And he would say the same thing about painting my nails, not going to a nail salon, mind you, painting my nails. He would say the same thing about anything that I wanted to do. Go ahead. And I guess this is a, like people would think this is a question to further build your narrative, but in this case, there's no need to highlight specifics. But I was wondering what, if someone else is thinking that like, okay, someone I love or someone who I'm in some type of dynamic with relationally is telling me that gaming isn't a good thing to do. Painting my nails isn't a good thing to do. What types of things do these people want their partner to actually do? What would this, (laughs) like, I'm just wondering in theory, like from the, like, did you have, what did you do during this time where you weren't gaming? I mean, we mostly just watched TV. We mostly just sat on the couch and watched whatever show he wanted to watch at the time. But what he wanted me to be doing was cleaning, cooking, just anything except for things that I wanted to be doing. And I like, look, you you can see my background. It's not super organized, but it's not dirty either. So I'm not a dirty person. And our, our house was never filthy, right? But I'm not a super highly organized person. I wasn't built that way. I've never been that way. And uh, he wanted me to be highly organized. But mostly it was like, you know, get off your game. We're going to watch whatever show he wanted to watch. You you have to, at this point, we've aired some dirty laundry. What type of shows did you have to watch? Uh, Well, it wasn't that I had to watch them. It was just, I didn't really get a choice, but he liked a lot of, he liked a lot of history channel and I am not a big history person. Like if you want to talk about. Wait, do you mean history, (laughs) history or history channel? Like ancient aliens, like ancient aliens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is fine. Like I can, I can get down with some ancient aliens. Sure. But I don't want to watch, you know, 20 episodes in a row. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Now I, I have to know. You, this is a completely crazy tangent. So you have, I'm, we don't have to go into detail as much as you want, but like, do you have children who are, you have a son who's in a relationship, you said. So I guess, how do you feel about your previous, like, do you, do they know? Because I mean, you're recording everything that you say, and I Mm -hmm. also record. I sometimes after I record stuff, I'm like, what did I just, why did I share that story? (laughs) Oh my God. It's on every platform. And my (laughs) son is scrolling through everything all the time. He could easily hear that clip. And I'm like, I didn't. So I guess, do you, do they know everything about your past or do you think there's still things they don't know or understand? So I think age appropriateness is really important. Like my my 10 year old wouldn't understand a lot of this. He knows that we got divorced because we didn't love each other the same. That's kind of the thing that I, that I tell him my 17 year old knows that my ex was a cheating abusive asshole. So, and, and I, I'm very open with my kids about things. Like I, I really think that the way that I parent is just age appropriate honesty. And because of that, if my 17 year old asks me a question, which he did whenever we were getting divorced, he's like, or actually this was after we got divorced. He was like, why did y'all get divorced? I said, do you want a real honest answer or do you just want a reason? And he said, I want a real honest answer. And I said, you can ask me any questions that you want, but 
my ex cheated and we were in an abusive dynamic. And he asked some follow-up questions and every now and then he'll revisit and um, bring something up and we'll kind of talk it out. But it's, I just, I'm as open and honest as I can be with them, but no, I wouldn't sit down my 10 year old and say, your dad isn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I would not sit him down and have the same conversation with him. I would make it age appropriate. And yeah, he could go listen to something like this, but knowing my 10 year old, like if he heard me start talking about something like that, he would just turn it off. He would just be like, I'm not, I'm not allowed to listen to that. And it's not that I've ever said he's not allowed to listen to it. It's that he's like, this is not for my ears. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like my son's like that too. And it's funny because like some people would say like, oh no, you don't you don't know your kids. They're like sneaky. But I feel like some kids can't hide things. So like their yeah, faces oh, yeah. turn oh, red yeah. <laughs> or like they're like, I wasn't I wasn't trying to do that. I just tapped on that by accident. I didn't mm-hmm. like that picture. I didn't I'm like, like relax. I saw your finger was just it's fine. Wagging around. <laughs> it's okay. It happened. So um I guess this is, I keep, do do you have a spiritual leaning at the moment or do you like, is this all, or I guess, let me ask that better. Do you think that this crazy, it's almost like a transformation because I even watched one of your episodes from two years ago, no, like three years ago, maybe is that Mm -hmm. on YouTube? And then I watched one from like just from two years ago and then I saw a clip from more recently and you're definitely the theme is the same it's clearly the same character who is on this journey but you're (laughs) transforming and I guess do you feel like that transformation is solely driven by your actions and the support of people around you or do you think there's like I'm not saying ancient aliens but just like invisible (laughs) something is something helping you out so I guess to to understand where I'm at kind of spiritually, I, I would go back to how I was raised. So we went to a Baptist church when I was a kid. My grandfather was a Church of Christ minister, in addition to being a funeral director. And I think because of all three of those experiences, um, I'm no longer religious necessarily. Like I don't go to church. I don't, I feel like if there is a God, he's really fucked up. So I, but I do think that there's some sort of like, there's gotta be some sort of higher power. There's gotta be something out there. There's gotta be reason behind the world and humanity existing, but there's no way to know the answer. The one true answer, like all religions point to their religion being the one true answer. There is zero, zero way to know with a hundred percent certainty. I am in the right religion. And so for me, it's like, I'm going to do my best to put good things out into the world to make the world a better place for my kids and for other people that my life touches. And that's kind of all that I have control over. I don't have control over when I die, where I die, how I die, what happens after I die. I didn't have control over when, where, how, why I was born, but I'm here and I might as well make the best of it. So it's not necessarily a really like super religious. I'm going to follow some sort of specific set of principles that have been laid out by a religion or a group of people or anything, but also growing up with the restrictions under the various religions from church of Christ to Baptist. It, 
and seeing other other people in other religions and everything it's like they're not even living the way that they're supposed to live so why would i follow something like that and then the other part of it is with my grandfather being a funeral director he got to observe a lot of different practices and he would always come home or whenever we went up there to have lunch with him at the funeral home or something we, he always always have these stories about oh, this big group came through and they were black head to toe and all of them were in veils and very somber. And then the very next one was this big party out in the parking lot. Like, it, so kind of the juxtaposition of all these different beliefs and how they react to something as strong and big and monumental as grief and the loss of a loved one. I think to me, even as a kid, like I picked up on a little bit of well, that's different. I would love to take this piece of that and incorporate it into my life and this piece of that and incorporate it into my life and just kind of build this like this is where I this is where I fit into the world kind of system for myself. Um I I guess this is I don't know if you've heard of this like it's a popular I guess it's a th you could call it a thought form or even like some type of like pseudo spiritual archetype maybe but people refer to it as the dark feminine um, i haven't heard of that and now. It's, it's like essentially like i won't even try to explain it but let's just say it seems like after trauma or after oppression you have found freedom without like becoming some type of abuser or having to weaponize your ego and become very guarded and aggressive so i guess is did that was there a chance of that happening during the process did you feel yourself like have moments of like i'm gonna go crazy on everyone i don't need to be this nice and then you became this nice or was it like the only option was to retain yourself and try to push through it and like I guess it's a weird, I asked someone else this like a few episodes ago, like, why are you so nice? Like, that's, <laughs> like why, what is the reason? Like, because you yeah. could easily, that slight meanness that even accompanies like explanations, like, uh, like a mic drop almost of like energetic, like, I'm sure of myself. And if you say otherwise, like you jokingly said, I'll fight someone over this. And even yeah. that was like, not really bad so I guess I'm wondering was there ever a chance that you felt you could go the other way so I think for a really long period in my life um I I did go the other way kind of so but not I guess not in like a violent explode on everyone kind of thing it was just a very um dark depression and it I mean so for me, my other way was very withdrawn and very uh, not introverted because in, being introverted is not a bad thing, but very just like, I'm going to just get through one foot in front of the other. I'm just going to get through the next day and I don't have to do, you know, shit. I don't have to be anything or or do anything. And, and I don't, I don't want to do anything for anyone or anything like that. And so for me, the opposite was most of my marriage. <laughs> I was that way because I was in a situation that drove that. Now, whenever I got out of that marriage and started kind of trying to force a separation and eventual divorce, um, I feel like I was able to go back to being really who I am and who I 
have been who I was before that. I was very bubbly. I was very outgoing. I was very positive all the time. And for me to be any kind of pessimistic was super out of character before my marriage. And I feel like it's getting more and more out of character now after my marriage. I think I'm more realistic, but um, I'm more realistic. And I feel like more mature in understanding what I need and want in life and from other people and being able to draw boundaries. Um, But, you know, even in the face of everything that I've been through and everything that I've faced in life, I don't feel like there was a point where I ever was going to, you know, become some sort of (laughs) uh, vehicle of rage, right? Like that wasn't, that's never really been in me, but I definitely could have stayed in a very, very dark place for a very, very long time. And I guess since you're, you're clearly out of that specific phase that we're talking about, do you feel like um, while you were in it, if someone had told you that this moment in time or like last month or whatever, your last, these few weeks, it had described your life to you, would you have believed them that that was possible in that mindset? It might have depended on when they said it and how they said it. Because if you had said something like that to me, you know, right after my grandfather went missing, then no, I would not have believed it. If you had said something like that to me when I was in the middle of the worst relationship, no, I probably wouldn't have believed it. And I had a lot of, um, I still deal with depression and CPTSD and anxiety now even. Um, But when I was in the thick of it, I also had suicidal thoughts. And to tell someone who's having suicidal thoughts that it's going to get better, like, there's no way I would have believed it. I none there's none (laughs) i guess we this is not even i don't even know how to approach this subject but you it seems that you're and i'm laughing when i say it because i it's in the podcast name but i'm gonna sound like an idiot but clearly like your grandfather going missing Mm -hmm. what does this even mean i don't really i'm yeah. So yes. Oh no, I'll share. Um, I'll kind of share what happened uh, because when I say went missing, like everyone's probably thinking dementia, Alzheimer's, or something like that. And if That's that wasn't what I the was case, thinking. Yeah. No. So he went missing one day in 2017 um, in March, and I got a phone call from my mom who said your your grandfather's missing. I was like, what the fuck? What do you mean missing? And I said like, did he lose his phone? And you, did he get in a wreck? Like what, what's happened? What's, what's going on? And at the time she and my dad were living on a boat and they were in the Caribbean. And so they were so far away. So I was really a connection point for them to the rest of the family. And mom was like, I'm getting on a plane. I'm coming home, which is a big deal. Like if you live on a boat in the Caribbean, you don't just get on a plane and come home. (laughs) So, um, I got that phone call and I went to where my grandfather lived and um, he was missing. He was gone. There was blood in there. What state was this in? Texas. Yeah, this is I live in Texas. I'm just I'm and he does, too. Yeah. Okay. Or he did. (laughs) Um, 
So my, my whole family is pretty much like Texas and Oklahoma. We're kind of in that general area. We're all not super close to one another in proximity, um, but we're all, you know, in those two states mostly. Um, so he went missing. There was blood in his shop. There were some pills missing. There was a gun missing. There was a bike missing. His truck was there. Nothing was stolen. Um, they called out the sheriff's department. There was a search. They had cadaver dogs and all this stuff. Um, the FBI was involved. The Texas Rangers were involved. And these searches went on for years and years and years. And actually just last year, they found his remains about um, 20 miles away. And so because of the time that had passed, um, there's no way to really tell what happened. So that's when I say my grandfather went missing. That's what I'm talking about. Suspicious circumstances. We will never have answers. And just phenomenal, like, chaos and um, grief that you couldn't really pinpoint because it wasn't a death at the time. You know, my other grandfather died uh, in in December of 2019 to, to breast cancer. And that was a thing. It's like, okay, he died. It's sad. We are grieving as a family. We are all connected in this. We know what we're grieving. It is a loss. We know where he's buried. We know what happened to him. And it sucks but we all understand. And in, at that time with my um, other grandfather, it was like, we don't have those things. We're all in this together. Yeah. But we don't know shit. <laughs> so there's, I guess, of course, like this, this story, firstly, it sounds like this shouldn't be like, this might happen in America. But according to, like, international, like, I guess, media posturing or global portrayal, it seems like you, t people, like, there's someone, uh, Zayden, who's on the podcast from Oklahoma, and he tells similar stories that are, like, when he says them, I actually just am quiet because I'm like, this couldn't actually happen, right? He's like, no, it happened. I was like, but what about the cops? He's like, oh, they don't care. They don't, it's not a big deal. So I guess in this case, in Texas, and like to a person like you, like you don't, you're not presenting in a way that your grandfather would be involved in some kind of crazy right. thing <laughs> like this. So I guess, is this like, have you heard other stories like this in Texas? Is this um, a thing that is rare? Well, there's, so there's a great, great group of people who goes out and they um, search for missing people and they're, they've got a great, I wish I could remember the name of it, but they've got a great community on Facebook and, and they're involved in all these things. And whenever this happened, there's also another website called Web Sleuths, which is a phenomenal website. And whenever this happened, my grandfather got put onto that Facebook page. My grandfather had a case in that web sleuths community that people were talking about and going through all the details and trying to figure out answers and everything. And, um, you know, I didn't realize how often it does happen, but if you go on those websites, it happens all the time. It just doesn't get talked about. 
And I will say the sheriff's department and the FBI and the Texas Rangers, they were all highly involved in this case. It wasn't that they weren't searching. It wasn't that they weren't trying. It wasn't that they weren't, they traced his phone. Like they traced his phone to the last location. They traced um, CCTV cameras that they could and got the last footage of him as an alive human being that we will ever have is from a Walmart CCTV footage. Uh, and so they did the things that they were supposed to do. It just didn't get us answers very fast. And he was only found by chance by a hiker at the lake. So I guess what I'm getting at is if, cause I, I wasn't aware of the amount of people that go missing in America mm -hmm. to like a year and a half ago, maybe Huge. during the pandemic. I found out like from just like being on the internet more, I was like, these people are crazy. This is not real. I read the numbers. Then I started going on like various government agency websites to verify the statistics. And it all, it, it's like, for me, I grew up in Pakistan and very few, like, I, I this is going to sound weird, but from the kids who are documented and people will say, oh, well, there's a lot of child trafficking there. Okay, let's find there's a lot of child trafficking everywhere on earth. Let's say that. Including I'll agree with here. you. I'll agree with you. I'll just accept whatever criticism people have of any other country. But I guess while living in America and I like I was born here, but then I guess when I moved back and then my son was born here, I assumed that we're like living in like a Disneyland kind of place. And even saying <laughs> Disneyland is kind of scary now because after having been, I'm like, I don't know, I'm very scared. <laughs> so I guess, do you think it's weird? And I'm not going to go into like the farther reaches of this subject, but do you think it's just, it's odd that in a place that's so developed to a point where like AI is teaching us biblical scripture and like all these weird things, I couldn't think of a weirder thing. I could have said AI girlfriends, but that just... Why do so many people go missing here in a country that isn't like the biggest country and a country that has ample resources to at least take care of its own people? It seems like... It just seems weird, confusing to me. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, so um, in the case of my grandfather, the predominant theories were... Suicide and are still, it's still an open case, um, or suicide or murder. And in either of those cases, I feel like the the prime root cause goes back to mental health. And if he killed himself, then if he had felt like he could seek out help for that, whatever he was facing, whatever he was going through, whatever he was feeling, then he could have helped. He could have been helped. He, that could have been prevented if he was murdered. Clearly that person had something going on. And if they had either sought the help or had the means to seek the help, then that could have been prevented. As far as other people going missing, that's an that's an impossible question for me to answer. <laughs> well, I I guess I mean in terms of like um like say even when I'm I'm talking to my son and the like last time we were flying some we were at an airport and it was uh i think it was lax and in the bathroom there were a crazy amount of human trafficking signs like call this number mm. if you suspect human trafficking or if you see someone being trafficked and my son 
came out and asked me he's like did you see that sign i'm like yes that's an actual (laughs) sign and it just made me think that like you don't see signs that say things like if you see someone selling drugs let us know if you see someone Mm -hmm. so it just seemed like a weird thing i I don't want to get it just seems i guess we'll transition to a less conspiratorial point but in the same vein um with society the way it is now like let's just say uh north america we can take canada as well because it seems like culture is like our netflixes seem to be unified so um (laughs) do what do you think culture here is headed towards as a um if you were speaking in a general sense like just like if you're we're saying you're the oracle and you're looking at chat gpt and the current state of twitch and the switch to and all these things i don't know or or the president or the elections or i feel like texas is pretty crazy right now there's like crazy stuff in the news so mm-hmm. what is your like feeling for 2024 so I do live in Texas. And let me tell you, if I, I am legally obligated to stay here until my children are 18, and then I will be leaving. So so that should tell you something. But um, yeah, I, I feel like the main thing that concerns me, I guess, for 2024 is, is the political um, instability that I think is still going on that started a long time ago and has just continued to get worse and worse or at least not get better. Um, but I do think also I am seeing a lot more people on social media and on, you know, all the different apps and websites and everything who are being more open about what they're going through. You're, you're hearing celebrities talk about, well, I, I dealt with this or that, and I've been diagnosed with bipolar. I've been diagnosed with anxiety. I've been diagnosed with this disease, that disease. And I think that openness and willingness to talk about what you're going through and what someone else is going through and seeing influential people going through things that are very human, I think is a good sign for us in general. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about this year because it is an election year and I do live in Texas. So I, I guess since you're, I feel like I've talked to some people about this and you're a parent. So if we're realistic about talking and recording speech, it seems like it's a very like, uh, it's an interesting time where you can say the wrong thing and the weirdest stuff can happen and you can trigger someone in the strangest Mm way. Uh, And that's obviously at its base, that's a mental health thing, like a human neurological a neural pathway is activated that person then behaves out accordingly but it seems like certain types of behaviors now are promoted so like for me even talking about elections up to like three episodes ago i was really hesitant to talk about this and then mm. this guy uh mark mark pulls he has his uh not the not conscious podcast and he started talking about trump and at first he didn't even say his name he was being considerate yeah. and i was like that's like it was so nice of him but at the same time i was freaked out because he knew he was being considerate but at by the end we said trump a few times and talked about the Mm -hmm. insurrection and all sorts of things but the hesitance i felt from myself 
was like scary to me. I was like, what is happening to me right now? Who is yeah. watching? It's fine. I'm not even, I'm just listening to a person talk. Why is this dangerous? Why mm -hmm. is it, am I so incompetent that I can't even hear someone's opinion and it's dangerous to hear their thoughts? Like, so I guess with, with the election coming up and you being, this sounds weird, but I feel like you're not just American. You're also Texan. So that's a very mm -hmm. specific and important part of it America <laughs> in many ways. How, why do you, when you say, oh, I feel like political instability election year, if you were in a developing nation or a place with like military coups, that would make sense. We'd be worried about you being bombed. You'd be like keeping your kids safe. But what were you describing when you said that? Like, what are you worried about? Well, I will, um, maybe I could explain it better if I'm not talking just about the election, because it really is about more than just the election. It's about the stripping of the rights for women. It's about the stripping of the rights for trans trans people and trans kids in particular, um, in Texas, at least. If I were to get pregnant, so you're about to get like medical history, <laughs> <laughs> for me, but like I had a hysterectomy because I had developed pelvic organ prolapse while I was trying to have another child, trying to conceive another child, um, went through a lot of infertility issues and developed this, this thing. And my OB was like, okay, if you have another baby you, that you're at much higher risk. And then, uh, the prolapse got hard enough that they were like, that's it. You, you may not get pregnant. So I had a full hysterectomy. So if I were to get pregnant now, I could not legally get an abortion, even though I have no uterus and women can get pregnant. It's called an ectopic pregnancy. You would be hard pressed to find a doctor because I would not know that I was pregnant in time. And so you would be hard pressed to find a doctor, even though that is an allowable thing in Texas who will actually perform the medical procedure that I would need. So not only that, but my oldest, my 17-year-old is trans. I can't get him any sort of hormone blockers or anything like that. I am not talking about surgery here, right? These are things that are reversible. I can't get them in Texas right now. So to live in a time and place where watching The Handmaid's Tale feels like it's not far off is fucked up. And I'm it's it's those kinds of things that I'm like, the election does matter because when did all of this start? 2016 is really I, when it started. I'm trying to like not go crazy because I got excited that you said all of this. So, <laughs> because I guess since you come from a a Christian background and you seem to be like very, very obviously not just tolerant, but um, you are giving space to anyone. Like mm -hmm. we've all like you're fine with everyone. You're cool. Like unless yeah. the person's obviously hateful and crazy, in which case right. you'll distance yeah. yourself, but also probably try to make them less hateful and crazy. Yeah. So why it doesn't make sense to me what like what you're saying sounds like a dystopian society. It doesn't sound normal. So what is in your opinion, what is driving men? to be so and this is i'm saying men because it seems like the policymakers are primarily uh male and of a certain age and of a certain mm -hmm. ethnicity and belief system 
So I guess I wonder, what do you think drives them? Like, what is their thing? I I think that a lot of it is fear. I think that it's also a lot of about control, which are both tied um, because the straight, white, cis, old ass men, mostly in politics, in Congress, in the state, they're making these decisions from a place of fear. And yeah, sure, there are women who are making those same decisions. It's based on the way that they were raised. It's based on the way that they were taught by these kinds of individuals. And I am I am never going to be one to say, like, all men are bad. I'm never going to be one to say that. Uh, but the, the reality is just what you said. Like, they're the ones in control. We've lived in a patriarchal society for ever <laughs> yeah, here I, in the u.s and where has it gotten us like i nowhere. <laughs> i guess this is going to be a strange segue but you said it in a way that like i've been bringing this up to other people the last few times but we don't stay on the subject of uh women's uteruses because the other thing is more like exciting to them that i bring up mm-hmm. but i guess when we said that control and fear drive these people making decisions about what you can do with your body, which is Mm -hmm. like you can do with your body internally. It's not even interactive. It's not even like, Hey, you can't put your uterus on people. It's you can't, it's (laughs) like something internal. Um, It's like, I feel like it borders on governing a thought. Like you Mm -hmm. can't think about this. So those same policymakers are now, legislating and deliberating and spending additional funds on the subject of uh, aliens or UAPs or the non-human intelligence. And these are the same people who legislate women's uteruses and trans people's lives. So I guess, what do you think that is at this point, since we're just kicking off the year? Why do you think the same people who are going to be like barking at each other on TV about abortions are also going to be doing that about aliens and interdimensionality? I think a lot of it is because they can, because they have the platform to do so. And my my issue with that is who are they listening to? Like, are they listening to actual, in the case of abortions, actual doctors? Clearly the answer is no. Are they listening to... <laughs> you know, actual people from ancient aliens who have, who have studied aliens and everything, like the answer is probably still no. So that piece of it may be driven by curiosity and also fear rather than control and fear. Although maybe the control piece is still in there, but uh, you know, it's good to have a group of people who are governing on behalf of people, but when they stop governing on behalf of people and they start governing, govern, governing on behalf of lobbyists and people who are throwing money at them and trying to make sure that they stay in control that's when it that's when it becomes a problem so i i guess um this is it's so weird to have these discussions because i guess i'm i had like i guess inklings of these feelings when i was like a 14 year old on like conspiracy websites and like i read 1984 and obviously in pakistan there were like i think that there were two military coups in my lifetime so i've it was good times like it was fun maybe just one coup but there was a lot of weird stuff 
So I was one is the, enough. <laughs> yeah, I I just hey, I didn't I didn't want anyone who's been through multiple coups to be like, hey, like you know, two is to I don't know, but yeah. um, it seems like what we're talking about, it's it's scary and real, and then at the same time, I'm, I guess from a mental health perspective, who are we in this story? Like, because it seems like how you said the lobbyists and people who are throwing money at them, this could be some people call it like a corporate uniparty. Some people call it like all sorts of names, the powers that be. So I guess how do you th I guess for people who are like feeling weird about just like scarcity and control and like someone would tell them, like, why are you thinking so much about uh? Uh, your uterus just wait till you get pregnant why are you thinking so much about um, like hormone blockers here just get enough money and move to another state like there's people who advise you not to think about the meta scale picture because it's above our pay grade like we are peasants so we have to think about peasant yeah. stuff so I guess how do you feel about that and the like seemingly like the class division in america well i mean i that goes back to the why are they governing the way that they're governing because of the control and they're trying to keep their air quotes people in control and how do you do that it's by making sure the other people don't have a chance to think about what they need to do to get a little bit of control what they need to do to move out but you also have to consider you know people like me who are legally court ordered to stay in one particular place, we don't get a choice. I could leave Texas. I could take my kids and leave Texas and then get arrested for it. <laughs> so no, I, yeah. I'm literally in this. I know exactly what I cannot travel without having like permission and all that yeah. stuff. So I yeah, totally, well, un it makes sense. Also, but at the same time, it's like, what if, I did casually feel like going into New Mexico for the for a day trip. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be arrested. It's not going to. Yeah. Anyway. But I mean, also, you have to think about, you know, there's a lot of um, book banning going on in Texas right now. And that you mentioned 1984. And I'm like, to me, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 are the two books I, I loved reading in school. And they they're banning these different books and all of these different groups are getting together to ban these books. And the one way they're getting these books banned is to get lobbyists. And I'm, I'm they don't call themselves lobbyists, but they are lobbying to have a particular book banned. But what is that book? It's something that represents an underserved, um, underrepresentative group in the community. So they don't have the same numbers to lobby right back and say, don't ban this book. And so they lose because the school boards don't want to deal with it. The libraries don't have the funds to deal with it. And that goes like, that's just, if, if you take it down to a teeny tiny micro community level, you can expand that out to the bigger government because that's how these things kind of happen. And living in a time like that, where someone will tell you, oh, it doesn't matter that that book got banned when that book could have been something that helped your child understand their place in the world and understand how they fit into the world and how their emotions are valid and versus all of these other books that are telling them that they're not. It's like, 
it, but it does matter to me. It might not matter to you, but it matters tremendously to me and to mine. And so, yeah, it's, it's really bizarre because I did read those books in school. And now I'm like, didn't everyone else not read these books? This is how this shit happens. (laughs) So do you feel like at this point when, um, when we're speaking about it, do you think the establishment, excuse me, you're fine, too much energy drink. Do you think, um, (laughs) Do you think that there is an active effort to like, let's say you were made this whole podcast was about like, if we were trying to appeal to the things that we know appeal to the simpler parts of the mind for quicker dopamine feedback. And you, like, if we did those things, you could lead a pretty different life. You would still do your day job. You would still be a streamer, but you wouldn't go into these these paths that like essentially by if more people know what you're saying and how to be okay and not put pressure on themselves, it would make certain other parts of the system fall apart almost. Like, um, like if everyone knew how to self-regulate, even to mm-hmm. any slight degree, it would throw a lot of things like this to me it would be crazy like if if amazon for example let's say started m- mandating meditation at their factory at the warehouses let's just say the warehouses they wouldn't do that when all science points to it being better for them long term and their employees so do you think that that is intentional on the part of these corporations to just work people into the ground and get the next one? Or do you think at some point they're going to pull back? Or do you think the AI thing is their solution to not pulling back on the the seemingly increasing workload on humans every year almost? I think that AI has a lot of really good potential. Like I'm a I'm a proponent. I think AI could do a lot of really, really great things. Um as far as corporations mandating policies that they they know are going to be good for their employees what they're really going to look at is is it good for my bottom line and in the case of an amazon warehouse that might not be true it might be more cost effective for them to burn out employees and hire cheaper ones constantly and so you know i work for a company who does have a, a high focus on mental health but that to me is because we do better work and we are not doing physical labor, but we do better mental work if our mental space is cleaned up. And so I really think that as far as corporations go, there's going to have to be something that points to it being measurably better for their bottom line before they'll do something like that, because the government's not going to mandate that they do something like that, unless it's also good for the government. And it's it's just very circular, but yeah, it would be better for everyone to be able to have these spaces and and have some degree of control and be allowed to address mental health issues that they're facing um, and treat mental mental illnesses that they're dealing with. That'd be tremendously advantageous to people, but is it advantageous to government and corporations? I I can't say. So so you're saying I need to put together a brief showing 
factories how meditating will in- increase i need an accountant on this because i'm not good at yeah <laughs> but if we could do this maybe because it does make sense what you're saying and i feel like um there's this doctor i think her name is amishi Ja, and she did this study for the u.s military about like i think a specific amount of meditation per day for a certain amount of weeks and it was a small amount like 11 minutes of meditation and it was for snipers to increase their accuracy and then Mm -hmm. after proving that um without any additional training they were somehow better they're like well you proved it so we can make them kill better so this is great so i that's kind of scary that that's one of the like right now she's she's pretty the book is everywhere she's on the podcast circuit and i'm like so you're saying that unless we can make people accomplish worldly tasks better through healing their own pain we can't really it's not worthy for them to feel good it's up to the individual to take that on yeah, that... I think it is what it would be because it's not that it's not worth it. It's not that it's not valid to do. It's not that it's not good to put that information out there, but I don't think you're going to get a company to mandate it unless you can show that it's good for the bottom yeah. line, which is what, if that, you know, it, and if that was the study, then yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and let's say this is like me, I guess, getting into like, Kind of, we have a lot of people who talk about like the seemingly, seemingly non-physical aspects of our life that end up like, like how thoughts some somehow affect your actual real Mm -hmm. physical life. So I guess in that way, if you're um, the community and the podcast and everything you're doing continue to grow and it becomes like what people would conceive as a company. And it already is in a way from what I can see from my ex- like external observation. Would you, would you run your company with like, with a different mindset than like conventional business? Or do you think you would still like, how do you think that would work if you had employees at any point in a, like for the podcast? Like, yeah. So, I mean, you, if you're looking at it from a business owner perspective, it is a little bit different because mine is so focused on mental health. Like I feel like, of course I would run it a little differently at the same time, you know, well, okay. So the job that I work at during the day, I, um, like I said earlier, I get a lot of people approach me and say, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. I also have them say, Hey, I'm feeling really depressed today, or "I'm, I'm just having a shit day and that kind of thing. And they'll come to me with these things. And so I take the time out of my day and my boss is okay with me taking the time out of my day to talk to them. And because of that, I feel like, yes, I would. I've already got the example of I lower my own productivity at work. But at the same time, I still get paid the same whether I'm lowering my productivity to talk to someone else about what they're going through or not. So I don't know. I think I would love to say, yes, absolutely, I would run my company differently, but I don't think that's a fair assessment because it is a, it would be mental health focused, so it would make sense. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's good that you said that because we can, 
um, I guess you're you're not a doctor and you're not running this like business, yeah. this future business that we're talking about. But you're saying in theory, if it's to do with mental health, the employees and the people uh, providing the service would definitely have to be cared for mentally themselves. But if you yeah, look, you'd at like to the, think so. <laughs> right. Right. But if you look at, say, the average, like um, even if you look at a psychiatric ward or um a behavioral health care unit. Mm -hmm. The people are not taken care of. Yeah, that's a they, really good point, though. They don't yeah. know what meditation is. They don't know what breathing is. They're like, why would I'm not crazy? Are you what, you need me to breathe? I just like and I guess I'm wondering, do you think that there's a disconnect between um, true mental health and institutionalized or academic mental health? Because like, you are coming from a non-academic background mm -hmm. and you still can calm someone down and make them feel better and think about things. But someone else would be like, hey, wait a minute, you don't have a license. Is your podcast legal even? Can we, like, <laughs> you gave some advice on it. Can we, can we put a fact check on this video? But if you had a degree and your knowledge was backed up by some, like, Carl Jung who was literally summoning demons in his, Right. Uh, living room and people are like oh yeah Jung said Jungian Jung I'm like wait this man literally summoned demons why are we taking his so I guess how do you feel about the idea that you are to me I would say like if I had if I knew someone whose energy resonated or matched yours and I was like hey you should talk to mama foxfire because I think I can't help you I don't we don't I can't, but I think she can. But other people will be like, yeah, I can't really recommend anyone unless they're a doctor or like, mm -hmm. how, what do you think that is? Like this control of helping people, like only the helpers can help and everyone else has to be quiet. Yeah. So I, I have had people say you shouldn't, and this was, this was years ago, but on Twitter, like my, okay, whatever it's called now. Okay. X. Right? <laughs> okay. Sure. Whatever. At the time, I had someone DM me because I was posting things like I journaled today and it made me feel really good. And, um, you know, here's something that I do for my anxiety and here's something that I did for my depression today and just kind of using Twitter in that way. And I had someone reach out and say, you need to shut the fuck up because you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a mental health professional. And because of that comment, like I stopped for a little while. It, it really took me back a step. And since then, <laughs> fortunately, I've talked to hundreds of therapists, hundreds of mental health professionals, hundreds of people who are going through all of these things in their life. And no, I am not a mental health professional. I don't pretend to be one. I never, I don't work in the mental health field even. I make that very clear everywhere. I have all kinds of things that say like, I'm not a mental health professional, but there is absolutely something that an individual can do that a therapist or a mental health professional cannot do. And that's to share their story and to say, this is what helped me. And even whenever I help people at work, a lot of the time my help comes with a, do you have a therapy appointment set up with your therapist? Like that's, that's part of what I do with work is say, when's your next therapy appointment? And then I say, okay, tell me what you're going through. And maybe I can help find a resource that would, that would help you through something. But being an advocate for someone like you and me 
just by talking more openly about mental illness and well-being and everything, it's hugely helpful. And when I have talked to mental health professionals to say like, do, are you offended when someone who is not a mental health professional starts talking about mental health? Does that harm what you do in some way? Resoundingly, the answer is no, because your therapist can't say I had depression and this helped me. I had anxiety and this helped me. They can only say, here's the things that you can try, but they can't connect on that personal level. So while they can give you things that might help, sometimes you just need to hear that somebody else has been through the same shit and come out the other side and that they can talk to someone openly about what they're going through. And so, yeah, I I don't think that I don't think that it should be so gatekept, honestly. And I think there's a tremendous difference between what a a mental health professional can do and what someone like me can do. (laughs) There's something it's interesting because we've been we've kept it pretty like this discussion has been like non non woo, I guess we haven't. We've talked about very like literal things. So I guess but I. Your the the story that you're telling, it sounds like. I guess it's like obviously there's more, uh, pain in it, than like we are going into. Mm-hmm. But I guess do you, from because I guess idiot mystic was supposed to originally just be me, trying to keep their a record of people because I mm-hmm. start I. I used to work at a gas station. So whenever a celebrity would die, a lot of people would start crying and talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew all the people in it a different way. And I thought that their lives were more interesting than like celebrities' lives. And I started feeling weird about it. Then I started thinking about my own family. So I guess in terms of keeping your story and like this being the first of many, hopefully, and this not being the end or anything, but how does it feel now? Like, what is the, what is the literal feeling? Cause are you tired? Cause it seems like it took a lot of effort to get here from there and you're not seeming to stop at all. Like there's no, you're not like taking a knee and you're like, guys, I can't, I'm, it's too much. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've got a good amount of, um, energy and willpower to, to keep going. Um, there was a time during the pandemic that actually I did stop for a while. I was like, I can't, I can't keep this up. Um, because I had so many guests cancel because they were getting sick. And so it was like three weeks in a row of guests canceling does something to you. (laughs) And so I, I did at that time, I was very like, I just got to take a break from this. I can't keep getting so discouraged. And now, now that I started it back up and I just started it back up last year, um, it's really gotten to a point where even if I have a guest cancel, it's not a big deal because I know that I can just go grab another one, even very last minute. I've built these connections with people that if I have a guest cancel, I can say, hey, my guest canceled an hour before the show. You want to come join me? And they'll be like, hell yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So I think that the thing that um, has me feeling a little more 
driven is probably the best way to describe what I am with the with even tacos fall apart is driven is just the support around the community and also the connections that I've made over the last several years. Um, but yeah, I think I, I would say I'm driven. I am also very tired all the time, but that is a physical tiredness that I'm talking about because I do have insomnia and I get very little sleep. <laughs> I, and I guess, would you, because a lot of people, similarly to gaming, there's the way you're, clearly you use a lot of your hours in the day. Mm -hmm. So if you had to like, obviously you can't give fix all advice, but a lot of people aren't willing to give away any secrets or help anyone with the mechanics. So like specifically, mm -hmm. I talked to a lot of like spiritual teachers here, or even like people talking about like highbrow concepts of healing or self-acceptance, but they won't tell you how they did their own. They'll mm -hmm. never tell you what exactly how it works. So I guess if someone is like thinking, wait, this is a mom and a content creator and like the room looks messy, but nice. It doesn't look messy, but I see laundry. Maybe that's all I was referring to. It doesn't look messy at all. Like it mean, like it looks real, I guess. What are the mechanics of starting to do something that isn't your day job or to start feeling better even if just like we can start either one yeah I mean I'll, I guess I'll start with just feeling better because that is to start therapy like that's an easy answer go find a therapist who works um who meshes with you and the thing the one thing that I'll say about finding a therapist uh, because I had this the very first therapist I ever went to was complete shit and I didn't think I didn't realize that she was complete shit. I just thought all therapy was that way. If you go to therapy and you feel like it's complete shit, please find another therapist <laughs> because it's not, it's not supposed to feel like complete shit. You can feel emotional. You can end a session feeling like shit, but the whole therapy process should not feel bad. Um, and when you say feel bad, I guess for me, I've had, I've even had like therapists who I've, a lot therapists are can be as problematic as any other service provider oh yeah so i guess to you if and no offense to this lady if she somehow finds this or feels a pain in her heart when it gets uploaded everyone maybe at that time she wasn't the best therapist for you mm -hmm. or maybe she was in a bad mood or something but uh what does a bad therapy session feel like so for me, the therapist that I went to very first, and I did more than one session. It wasn't just one session in my evaluation of um, what I was, was experiencing. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But it was very, she was just a worksheet hander. She would just give you a worksheet and you would do it. And she wouldn't even talk to you about it. Like, she was just like, here, do this. And it's like, okay, I did it. And it's some reflection exercise about your day or whatever. And she's like, okay, good. Did it help? Like, I don't know. What am I supposed to feel? I don't know. So it's just, it's just a matter of like, I guess in my case, it was, this doesn't suit me. It's not helpful to me. Maybe for some people, all they need is a worksheet, but you can literally find those online. Like you don't necessarily need a therapist for that. But if you want to hire a therapist to assign you your next worksheet, then that's fine. Maybe that works for some people. 
I have a feeling it's not going to work for a lot of people. <laughs> so in my case, I just thought that's what therapy was at that point. And I didn't go back for a couple of years until my grandfather went missing. And when I did go back, obviously I tried a different therapist. <laughs> um, and I connected with her very quickly, very well. And it was very different. It was just, I would go into a session I would try to bullshit my way around. Oh, I feel fine today. And she's like, okay, but tell me like really what you're going through because obviously you're here. So you're not fine. And she was able to call me on my bullshit and just really kind of help me work through some things and process through some things. Um, and I think for me, I had plenty of, I left her office feeling like shit, but I didn't leave her office feeling like shit because of her. It was because of what I was dealing with. You know, so it's, that's a that's a distinction to me um, between those two, because, yeah, therapy is not always fun. <laughs> it's not always nice. <laughs> it's going to suck. <laughs> when you said um, like the first time people told me to go to therapy, I felt offended. I was like, I'm not that mm. bad. Like, how crazy do you think I am? Like, what like what do you think there is that I can't reason through myself if you tell me mm -hmm. um so i guess do you if the resistance is coming up in someone right now to like because i know for a fact that we have co-hosts who have been on multiple times who we literally talk for hours about self-help healing magical things but going to therapy actively mm -hmm. when you're not in crisis seems to be like almost gross like do like i'm not that bad like i don't need therapy every week so i guess what do you think that is even if you had to describe that what part of our brain is like fighting us just that resistance i mean i think it's the same thing that whenever you tell a kid not to do something they want to do it a little more if they're in a rebellious phase right so i think it's the same thing but just a little bit opposite because therapy is just a tool. It's not something that there is a huge stigma around it, but there shouldn't be. I mean, my oldest is in therapy. My youngest is not, but I, he still goes to therapy once or twice a year, just for like a check-in. Mostly he just likes to play with the toys that their therapist has, but I just, I take him to therapy. Like it's the dentist. And I say, you know, to the therapist, like he's just here to make sure everything's good and he doesn't have anything to work through do your thing. And so if people would treat it like that more, <laughs> I feel like it's your brain controls everything. And why aren't you treating it as good as you treat your teeth that you can just get replaced if they break? And <laughs> I guess, how do you feel about if, if people have mistrust towards like, therapists like they're like this mm -hmm. person is going to steer me in some direction they have some agenda uh maybe they're going maybe they think i'm crazy maybe they're so i guess do you have do you do you talk ha, like there are many different kinds of therapists like there's holistic oh, yeah. therapists there's the there there are psychologists that are doing therapy appointments now nowadays there's all types of there are people called psychotherapists that I found found out isn't an actual, just a word you can just, did you Stroll know? Throw on there. 
I didn't know that. No, yeah, you're a I would assume I would assume psychotherapist was like a psychologist, which no, is it's an- like a it's an unprotected title. I think that doesn't mean anything like no offense to the people who like obviously there are some people who are qualified medical doctors and then for some reason say they're a psychotherapist and I'm like okay that's a cool word but I yeah. didn't so it's um, kind of unregulated term yeah I mean you know that's kind of like life, life coach you yeah. know you can you can call yourself a life coach that's okay but it's to weird call how- yourself a therapist I feel like it get It gives certain connotations that could be good or bad because medical trauma, medical gaslighting is a real thing that a lot of people have dealt with. And it's okay to feel like I don't trust a medical provider. I don't trust a doctor. I don't trust a therapist or anything like that. But if you can try to find a way to work with someone who will hear your concerns, who you can talk to about your concerns, who you can be open and honest with about that. Like you just got to keep firing your therapist until you find one that you actually like. <laughs> so it does make a difference. Since we were talking about 2024 and AI, what about AI therapy? How do you that, that? That's something that does scare me a little bit because I don't know if you, um, which helpline, I think the eating disorder helpline tried using AI And it was disastrous. Like it was telling people to lose weight. And it's like, you're a fucking eating disorder hotline. That's not what you should be like. Hello. (laughs) So yeah, I know. So like, I think of course there's potential there. I think that it has, you know, it, maybe it can give some good advice. It needs way more training though. Like there's gotta be some targeted training and maybe it could be a specific AI versus just opening up chat gpt or microsoft copilot or whatever and say or being and saying like i feel like shit today what should i do because it's going to give you some it's going to give you some advice but is it the best advice for you probably not and i don't think ai will ever replace humans as therapists because there is so much human in therapy um but it has the potential to help some people if it had a lot more training and parameters. I don't think right now at all, it should be anyone's therapist. (laughs) So do you, are you one of the people that, and this is where I feel like I have to go into this territory because it's been coming up lately and it somehow it, it very much coincides with mental health and even like neuroscience and we can call it like this uh, This episode that hasn't been released, but this last one was with um, a material science PhD who is a business consultant, but he was basically for two hours told me that this is a some type of video game-esque simulation. Um, We're the Sims. I, basically. So, and he was basically referring to multiple like, instances of high strangeness that he's then studied through like by scientific means and then you have places like harvard and stanford who have scientists who are like jumping into like these weird subjects so and then earlier we talked about the senators who are legislating uteruses also legislating like what appear to be like biblical angels and demons so to speak 
So do you think, and I guess as a gamer, I can already, I already know you've consumed content that contains elements of like paranormal or supernatural stuff. So do you think that 2024 is just a year of extreme misinformation where they're trying to like rot our children's minds and what's left of ours? Or do you think this is like a paradigm shift where people are talking about souls and non-human intelligence and it's actually all real? I mean, look, there is a chance that we are Sims, right? Like, I can't dispute that any more than I can dispute that there's a god. (laughs) But uh, I feel like this year, everyone's really concerned about AI. I I think that it's going to be really helpful. But and at the same time, this could be a turning point year. Like it really could. You could see a lot of voices rise up and um, kind of overcome a lot of different challenges and politics and science even and everything. Uh, but it's up to the individuals. Honestly, like each individual has something that they're passionate about to make sure that they are being passionate about it and carrying through that passion to its conclusion or to its fulfillment. Um, I I hope that it's not the year that is like everything's going to suck and, and they're just trying to rot our children's brains and all of that. That's me just being hopeful. You know, I don't want to think that of the world. I don't want to think that of people, but uh, it's still kind of a bummer sometimes. So I guess we'll just see. <laughs> I'm I'm completely confused. Like after the last, honestly, in the last, the first three weeks of 2024 have left me so confused. I actually <laughs> don't believe that this is how the year began. From like global conflict to like little news things, nothing makes sense. I'm just, yeah. I don't know where we live. But I did, this is my first time talking to someone who is, who has made me feel comfortable spending as much time as I want talking about gaming. So, so where do you see, I guess you have kids in all different age groups and my son's 12 and I feel like gaming is definitely not, it's not just not what it used to be, but it's no longer playing a video game. Mm -hmm. There's something else that a kid is doing when they grab a controller or a mouse and keyboard. To me, it's not the menu and pressing new game or load is not, it's not instant anymore. You're spending time in the lobby. You're going through menus. You're adding friends to a party. So I guess to you, what does gaming, where do you think it's going? Like on a, like, what do you feel is coming? I I would love to see a little bit of a return to like the new new game save come back to it later type gaming. Um, but yeah, I mean everything is online. I think it's just going to continue to go online, and and part of that is good. Part of that is that social connections piece because if I go online to play a game with my community, I'm serving as that connection point for a bunch of people, and they're serving as that connection point for me. So. And we're pulling towards a common goal and it's working together and it's skill building and uh, and it's just fun, right? At the same time, I do hope that there are some really good story type games that come out because 
if you can get some good stories, like um, Senua's Sacrifice is, I haven't played it, but I do own it and I've seen other people play it. Uh, you know, that game goes into a lot of mental health types things. And um, uh, the Edith Finch game, I can't remember the full name of that one. It's a longer, what became of Edith? Yes, Edith I've Finch. seen the trailer many yeah. times and downloaded it, but didn't end up playing it because I'm one of yeah. those people. But I, hey, listen, I own hundreds of games I've never played. <laughs> It's it's a dream. It was my dream as a child, but as an adult, it feels like disturbing. I'm like, why have I, know. I never played any of these games? I know. I open up Steam and I'm like, okay, I should play one of these other games. Never mind. Just open up Seven Days to Die again. <laughs> okay, okay, wait. Seven Days to Die. So mm-hmm. let's... It co- what kind of games do you play? Because this sounds... This does not... If uh, if someone was psychoanalyzing us, I feel like at this point things will get very interesting. So what <laughs> if you had to describe seven days to die to the audience that from I'm pretty sure most of the listeners aren't gamers, actually. Mm-hmm. What kind of game is it? Yeah, so seven days to die, if you want to look at it from what it's supposed to be, is a horror survival game with zombies. The way that I play it, it's like crafting farming horror zombies because I am in every game of Seven Days to Die that I have played, I wind up with this massive farm and a crazy house build. So I traditionally you're fighting zombies and you're uh, you're going through and surviving in this post-apocalyptic world. When I play it, not quite that (laughs) so so i feel like this is this is similar to how i've actually your only so my son is super into five nights at freddy's but Mm, i mean to the point that this table behind me there's some bloody animatronics that he made yeah and it's like a it's excellent but in the beginning i i didn't assume competence and didn't have any confidence in the way I raised my son and how much art we had consumed. And I was like, oh, this is a sign of his inner uh, mental state. He is somehow relating to this much gore and violence. And I couldn't, and he couldn't possibly just like this from an art point or the thrill of horror. And over time, I guess I've understood that some of the lightest, nicest people love to see a good murder yeah it is confusing (laughs) it is the most as even as like a helping people with meditation it's shocking like the the most gentle kind person will be like yeah i'm gonna go watch some some like i'm gonna watch the mma fights now and then i'm gonna watch uh john wick four and i'm like dude what is happening it doesn't even make sense so I guess yeah, you, I mean, you never, you never know what someone's into, right? Like I, I play a little bit of everything. I play, uh, MMO RPGs. I play horror games, not just seven days to die. They're like dead by daylight and that kind of thing too. Uh, I played that game. Don't scream. I don't know if you've seen anything about that one. It's horrifying, but in some cases when you're gaming, you want, like it's you're, you're in a mood to get your adrenaline pumping. Right. And so you play something that's a horror game or, you're in the mood to blow up some zombies because you want to take some aggression out. 
And then in some cases you want to play Stardew Valley or you want to play something like RuneScape or you want to play something like Ark with dinosaurs or you want to play a, a Fortnite or Dauntless or something like that. And it just, it depends on your mood and there's a game for every mood that you could possibly be in. <laughs> so, so I guess if you were describing playing horror games, since this is a, like a, do you also watch horror movies? I love horror movies, yes. <laughs> and And I guess that's, I feel like that's very, it's interesting because a lot of people would assume that if you're a horror person, you would have, you would wear that on your sleeve for some mm. reason. And it seems like there isn't really, you're not, even from the, I've only seen a few videos, but there's nothing being presented. There's not mm -hmm. like, you don't have a gimmick except that you're alive, I guess. Yeah. That you're like, um, so when, when you're enjoying horror, do you feel, have you ever felt like similar judgment to gaming from other people? Or do you think horror is more, is less stigmatized than gaming? I, I think horror is way less stigmatized than gaming. But yeah, sometimes it does like, it does shock people to know that I like horror movies, I guess, because. I am a pretty positive person, but at the same time, so on my show, I ask a question of every guest if they're comfortable answering it. And that is, do you have a favorite serial killer or true crime story that fascinates you? And it's one of those things that like, I love true crime. I love documentaries about murderers. I love learning about serial killers and what took them to that phase in their life and why they do the things that they do. And a lot of people who have been through a true crime scenario, like I have, they go either way. They love that stuff or they hate that stuff. And I've found that a lot of therapists are the same way. Either they love true crime or they hate true crime. And they're I, like, I deal with true crime or, or true life situations all day. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Or it's fascinating. So I think like the horror side of it for some people, they might not get like, okay, you're such a nice, positive person. Why do you like horror films? And I don't know. I just like them. <laughs> do, do you think that? So I have two very weird directions to go in. So let me first ask you that question that you asked, ask your guests. Mm -hmm. Do you have a particular case that fascinates you? Do I have one one case that fascinates me? No. Or Do like I have many, many, many? Yes. <laughs> is there something that like that spark like what's on the top of the true crime like? So I, I think on the top of the true crime for me would have to be the lady. I think that it was in New York and I can't I can't quite recall her name, but she poisoned like five husbands in a row before anyone caught on. And I just think that that's fascinating. And it, it's like, I'm not for poisoning people. I don't want anyone to poison anyone. But like, if you think about the time that she lived, it was in the 1800s. If you think about the time that she lived, the lack of control that she had over her life and her choices and her, uh, obviously she had choices in deciding to poison her husbands or whatever. But, um, you know, she had so little control over her life and she wanted to claw back a little bit of that control. And how do you do that if you're married? You get unmarried, but you can't get unmarried in the 1800s where she was living. 
<laughs> unless, unless you, your husband dies. And so she did this so many times and it's just like, that's, I, I don't know how, first of all, how she got away with it and how no one caught on. Like, this is your fifth husband who died in this same fashion. What? <laughs> so firstly, for the, for the record, for the podcast, if you were to ever get married again and something were to happen <laughs> to your husband, I'm just going to say that you're just talking right now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I would I would never poison someone that I. I would be afraid that I would accidentally poison myself also. <laughs> that's not a good that's the like, almost the worst it... reason you should have said because it's horrible <laughs> to kill people with poison. It is horrible to kill people with poison. It's horrible to kill people, period. But if I were to get to a point where I was going to kill someone, I don't think I would use poison because what if the teacup got switched or something? <laughs> okay, this is getting this is very nuanced because who who are you drinking tea with that you want to poison? <laughs> or coffee like, cup? I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, so going from you brought up true crime, you brought up specific like you asked people what they're fascinated by. Mm -hmm. And recently, I've been fascinated by something that I didn't think was, I thought it was so silly that I shouldn't ever bring it up. And then I noticed a New York Times bestseller about it. And I was like, wait a minute, this is this is main, this is an airport book now. We can talk <laughs> about this. So there, and I won't say any names of any books. There are just several books about the subject now. But there is this idea that uh, a lot of musicians in um, in the, I guess you could call it the 70s or the counterculture movement during the Vietnam War, that a lot of them had parents who were um, in the government or in military intelligence. And then these people were also at the same time and apparently if you say names and stuff you can get the videos can get flagged because some of the people's family members are still alive but uh. they're but you can say the names of the musicians so like the grateful okay. dead frank zappa jim morrison um jim morrison's dad was rear admiral george stephen morrison who basically was the reason the vietnam war started hmm very weird because Jim Morrison was a staunch op opponent of that. What? Yeah. But anyway, um, also there. So I. This is just a random thing. It's not connected to any crime. Until I started, the book I read was called Chaos, and it's about Charles Manson. And oh, now that's a fascinating. That's a fascinating one. And I guess I obviously I don't condone anyone even any kind of influence, especially coming from the meditation community. I've seen influence used in many bad ways. So Charles Manson, bad guy. But I guess after reading the book, it seems like there was a lot of like allowance for him to get large quantities of psychedelics and a lot of interaction with like the Beach Boys and other industry like figureheads and i guess i wondered do you think that do you think stuff like that like the fact that we have a mental health crisis in 
in America, and we have a drug crises of multiple kinds that are relate that then also create further cases of mental health issues, which then create um like I guess our pathways for various different treatment plans. So there's like a constant funnel of treatment based on additional like I'm trying to describe a loop. I feel like you know which loop yeah. I'm talking about. Is this loop a conspiracy or is this loop an accident? So it's really it's really interesting to think about, right? Because there's information out there about the cocaine epidemic and that it was a conspiracy. Literally I don't was know introduced. what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just the favorite thing of ethnic minorities like myself to do. We just start constantly <laughs> there's so much cocaine here. Yeah, yeah. So I mean it 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 definitely is possible that it's a conspiracy, right? All of these different things, at least with the um opioid crisis, it wasn't necessarily a conspiracy. On, on the government side, but it was a conspiracy within a company and within a family for sure. And it was all about money. And yeah. I guess, oh, go ahead. So when you, that makes complete sense. So then is being, because obviously we're not rebels because that's a very strong word. A rebel would be putting our children in danger, which is a bad parent. There are very few rebels who are good parents because the cause is greater than their own children. But mm -hmm. I guess in this case, some of the things you're talking about, like even the the stuff that isn't available to your um, 17 year old and the varying, I didn't know what they're called, like the I, hormone therapy, et cetera. I didn't know like what, but it, do you think it's weird that this kind of stuff is governed even like I guess is being complicit to a problem part of like watching people not get what they need do you think they are literally so self-absorbed that they turn a blind eye to the people like from spending so much time from office to office and from campaign to campaign they don't actually know what's happening or do they know and they just like bite down on their mouth guard and they're like nope i'm trying to get reelected. i don't really care because it seems like for me i at one point was 140 pounds due to opioids that were prescribed to me and then i didn't even get them unprescribed to me i was just told like maybe i'm losing weight because and stomach lining because of acidity from the or whatever opioids do to your stomach if you don't eat enough or something i don't know how it works but do you think that there's like this is a place where people aren't being taken care of intentionally the populace at large so i mean i think that that definitely could be part of it i especially with Again, especially with the opioid crisis, I don't know enough about the current fentanyl crisis to really have an opinion on it. I I know that it's happening. It's very yeah. sad and upsetting, but I don't have enough of the facts about it. Um, fortunately, there have been a lot of facts that have come out about all of how the opioid crisis started now that um, I think that in some cases, 
politicians just follow the money and the reelection piece of it to a fault. And if someone's saying like, okay, well, I'm on the Republican ticket, honestly, if they're going to keep getting voted for, they have to tow whatever party's line they're on the ticket for. So if they're going to remain on the ticket, they have to use the same opinions that are of their party or the party will kick them out. And the people continue to vote for a lot of those same folks because they're on that right side of the ticket or the left side of the ticket. If you're in a blue state, I happen to be in a red state. So I I talk a lot of politics about right side of the ticket because it's, you know, I'm on I'm in a conservative state. So um, and when I say right side, I don't mean the correct side of history. I mean, the conservative. <laughs> That's what I'm saying with that. But, uh, you know, I think that a lot of it is kind of to the point where you could have the devil on the ticket. If he's running under the Republican Party, he's going to get elected in some counties. And that's even considering that a lot of people are Christian and but if they're Republican, they're just going to vote that straight ticket. So a lot of it is is driven by what the party stance is and what the official stance is, because they have to stay on the ballot if they want to get reelected and continue getting money. Um, and then a lot of it is just lobbyists who are providing that money to the right candidate. <laughs> so, and I I agree with you so much that I don't really have any counterpoints, which is like, again, one of my confusing discoveries this year like that my political opinions aren't like one of like people are like oh well you grew up in Pakistan you don't really get it I'm like yeah that's true I agree with this I'm like yeah maybe I don't maybe I'm just shocked like maybe I was expecting the America that was shown to me on MTV versus like that's fair right I get that but then hearing it from people who have grown up here and their families have and they're I'm just like wait so if if I'm not crazy and you, everyone is feeling this, then it's just like, it's just weird. It's like 1984. But I guess my yeah, next question is. would be about something like, and this is a like controversial point. So if you don't have an opinion on it, that's fine. But I guess for me, even I'm noticing that SSRIs, which mm. uh, I guess people listening who know, know, uh, medicine for depression, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. But I guess this year and last year, it seems to be a more and more widely accepted thing that um, low serotonin isn't the sole cause of depression. Mm -hmm. And people are medicated with SSRIs pretty heavily and without and much restraint. And the side effects of those, which I've been on three kinds, I think, when when I was having back problems and was told that it was a neurological thing and my brain was transferring emotional pain to my lower back. And eventually my legs got paralyzed, basically, and I needed surgery. Oh, wow. Like, oh, it is your spine. It is actually. Oh, oh you're actually. actually in pain. You're not crazy. <laughs> But I guess, how do you feel about people if someone feels like the medication they're on is making them feel weird? 
but they are scared to talk about that. Mm-hmm. What would you say, like, just, and this is just me, like, we've created an invisible person here, and I'm, they're asking us for just like, hey, what should I do? Like, this is making me feel like punching myself in the head, but also it's making me get through the day. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Like, what do you think that person could do? Because I yeah. don't. Yeah. So first of all, talk to your, talk to your providers. And that is both your physical health provider and your mental health provider, because they got to work in concert. And if you're having some symptoms on one medication, there are other options out there. Um, and there, there may be some things that you haven't tried without medication that could help too. medication. It can help you get through the day. It can help you get to the next, to the next day. And that's sometimes what you need. Um, and of course there are things that medication, but that they can really help kind of eliminate symptoms. Um, SSRIs are kind of in the spotlight right now because they have a lot of side effects and they are pushed. And a lot of that is back to the drug companies. A lot of that is back to, um, health insurance and what they push and what they allow and what they'll pay for and what they won't pay for and what they force you to say you've tried before you can get to the treatment that you want to get to. Uh, which I think is a huge problem, but I also feel like health insurance is a giant scam. So um, I do have health insurance because you you have to to pay for any doctors, but it doesn't make it less of a scam and a shit show. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if you're on an SSRI and you're feeling like it's not serving you, work with your mental and physical health providers because they can get you on something else. They can get you on something that is a different SSRI they can get you on something that's not an SSRI. And, you know, just like, um, just like with something like birth control, yeah, there are going to be side effects to birth control. It's up to you to decide what side effects are worth it and what side effects aren't and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And, um, SSRIs are no different. And if there are studies that come out that make you concerned about the medication that you're on, you have to talk to your providers about it and just make sure that there's someone that you trust and and that you can talk to about it. And since earlier you did mention like medical anxiety, mm-hmm. just for some reason, I feel like this is a good, do you feel like if if someone is uncomfortable telling their doctor things about their own um, body and their own mind do you think that that's a sign that they need to do whatever they can to switch providers without fearing consequence or do you think they need to they should try to at least disseminate the information first before they it depends it depends on what you're really feeling nervous about if you're nervous to tell your provider about something that's bothering you then it's time to switch if you're nervous, nervous to tell any provider about what's going on, then you need to kind of push through it. But if you are experiencing a lot of anxiety around bringing it up to your doctor, you can do things like write it down on a post-it and bring it with you. You can do things like email ahead of time and say, this is something we need to discuss. You can also have a friend call them on your behalf and say, I don't need any medical information. I am giving you medical information about one of your patients. And this is this is the information that we need to Um, cover. And you can also work with like a peer advocate or something like that, where either they're covered under your health insurance, or um, sometimes you can, you know, 
pay a, a company or something to give you a peer advocate who will go to actually go to the doctor's appointment with you. But like with my grandmother, so my grandmother has dementia. She can't tell the doctor what's going on. She doesn't remember that she had um, a week that was full of episodes a couple of weeks ago. So when my dad goes with her, it's on him to do that. So in, in that case, you know, he's kind of her advocate to make sure that things are getting communicated. So I, it really depends on what your hesitancy is. Are you hesitant to talk to your specific doctor? If it was a different doctor, would you be willing to talk to them? If that's the case, then it's probably time to switch and fire your therapist and get a new one. If it's that you can't find it in you to bring it up at all, then you need to get someone else to do it for you or work around it in some way, like emailing, writing it down in a list, something like that. I I just realized because I went back to the question I asked you about where gaming is going. And I think that was like half an hour ago. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, wait, I'm trying to and this is funny. It's I'm I'm glad uh I have so many questions to ask you because like we can there's a lot to cover but mm -hmm. i guess before we um before we wrap this up for today i guess you were you seem to be doing a lot and your projects are building and the podcast is growing and stuff like that but i guess if you had to leave like a record like if if they're trolling on your 60th birthday for something to bother you with where, how do you feel about life right now? If you were telling if the audience and we talk about this sometimes that there are only a few people who make it all the way through a two hour or three hour episode. So to those people that made it so far and they've been listening to you and they're on the, probably not on the edge of their seat. Cause that's a weird expression. <laughs> who does that? what kind of crazy person like moves <laughs> off the couch but um what do you want people to know about why you're here and even like if they've just caught on to like this is season 19 or whatever of your show and they're suddenly here where are we catching you and what is coming up yeah i mean First of all, sometimes when you're watching a horror movie, I do scoot to the edge of my seat. So that How? that is definitely wow. something because if I get so nervous about it and I'm like, oh, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Where's she going? Like, I, I kind of like I get that energy in me and I just scoot forward. <laughs> now I have to pull my chair back under me. I'm, uh, I'm a so I am one of those people. <laughs> I'm kind of paralyzed in fear, kind of like my hands. Are <laughs> That's OK, too. That's yeah. yeah you can definitely like shrink I'm back into your. Yeah, you can shrink back in, pull a pillow over, you pull a blanket up or something like that. But I like scoot forward. I'm like, what's going also, on? What's going to happen? Uh, I also have a very high-pitched scream. It's very strange. <laughs> like my son actually thought it was a joke till like a few months ago. And he's like, wait, you actually scream like that? Because I can't do it on demand. Only if yeah. someone like jump scares me. Really like, scares oh. you. That yes. is funny. That's funny. Um, I like it. Yes, but, but you were saying. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like where you're catching me right now, uh, I feel like I'm in a really good place. I feel like I've given myself the grace that I needed and the space that I needed to do a lot of healing um, from some of the things that I've been through. I know that life is always going to throw something new at me. Uh, and I think that the community that we're building is something that I'm really proud of and happy that it came about 
no matter all the shit that I had to go through to get to that point, I feel like it's something that I am very grateful today that it exists and that it's it's the way that it is. Could you, because I guess I we have a community on Idiot Mystic and we'll be inviting you to the Discord, but could you tell us a little more about your community? Because I can sense how helpful it is. And I guess just what what is it called or how do people get to it? Yeah, so um, you can find all the ways to connect through the tacosfallapart.com website. There's a, a connect section on it where you can find a link to the Discord and a link to my Twitter and a link to Instagram and all the different places that I am. Um, and there, there's a great group of people that I'm connected with on Twitter, just all of the people that I uh, connect with there. And they're some of the most positive supporting people who are just there to constantly lift each other up and it's beautiful. Um, but the main thing that I'm talking about when I say the community is really the Discord and Twitch communities because the Discord community that we have is so focused on like just daily life and getting through it and doing the things that you need to do to survive. And then also on sharing celebrations and and the wins in your day and then also on gaming like it's the perfect it's the perfect place whether you're feeling like shit whether you're feeling really good or whether you just need to to get a little bit of distraction and distance from your life like that's where you can go um and then the twitch community we've got some great people who come in and they always have really fun things to say and it's a lot more uh jokey kind of thing uh, than it is in the Discord, I guess. We have lots of memes and jokes in the Discord too, but uh, um, it's just everyone's really supportive and nice and wonderful. And would you say that if people are hesitant about reaching out to you, how reachable are you? Oh, just reach out. Like, don't hesitate. I am just a person. Like, I'm just a human being. That's all. You don't need to, you don't need to hesitate to reach out to me if you want to talk to me. You can... Um, Twitter has been filtering messages really weird lately. So I'll say the best ways to reach me are either through discord or just email me at it's mamafoxfire at gmail.com because I used to say Twitter was the best way. And for some reason, things are just filtering out of my main inbox. Like if you're not verified or something and I can't figure out how to get it to stop doing that because I don't get notifications for it anymore. So just hit me up on Discord. You can join the Discord or you can just connect directly with me on there um, or reach out to me via email and it's all good. I'm here if you want to talk. And if there was, I guess if somehow no one heard anything, but they listened because some people do that and I've done that. And I like listening to podcasts and not hearing anything. I don't know why sometimes I do that. What is the thing you would want them to hear? which is what you're going to say now. Yeah, if you if you tuned everything out up to this point, because it's like listening for the weather or the traffic in your car, right? You're like, oh, good, the traffic's on. Stop listening. <laughs> Tune back in for a second, because what I really what I really want you to know is that it's not at all a weakness to seek out help in whatever form serves you. It's a sign of strength to use every tool that you have in your toolbox, and that includes therapy. And it includes the communities that you find yourself in. So that, I think that's what I would say. It's not weak to seek out help. I, I feel like I got help today. So thank you. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, 
I don't know. This was good. I feel like I can play games now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have, have you tried Pal World yet? The Pokemon no. with guns game? No. It's like a, it looks like Fortnite and, but it has like super weird clean graphics like Pokemon, like the new Pokemon games, but also their creatures you can fight, but you can have a gun and some of them have guns it's very weird but anyway thank you for doing this thank you for your time what is your cat's name i feel like this I is couldn't... this is Tyrion, and he's giant but he always wants all the attention wait as in lannister so originally he was named Tyrion, as in lannister but whenever i got him i renamed him but to the same name but it's after one of the very first games that I played when I was a kid, which was called Tyrion. Wait, I have to just quickly look this up. What game is it? Uh, it's a it's like a you're in this little spaceship and you're shooting asteroids and you have to fight a big spider boss. And <laughs> oh wow, I did find it for the yeah. on MS DOS. Yes, for old, the... old. It's an oh, old geez. game. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if anyone was questioning you. Or your gaming cred right now. <laughs> that was the, I don't even know what to say right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah when uh, I say I gamed from the time that I was a kid, I'm not lying. <laughs> no, that, that, I, yeah, you, that was a mic drop. So that was good. Uh, uh, I'm going to press stop recording. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.